Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. A couple of weekends ago, Craig, you and I attended, I guess what would be called the memorial service of a friend and ally of the ministry, really good man, families dear to us and your family. But it wasn't a memorial service. It was a memorial celebration. Um, (laughs) Fred, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know what you're going to do with this. There was an open bar. There was a dinner. There was feasting and toasting. There was worship music played that it was so unconventional. And it came out of a very different interpretation of death that this family clings to than most do. What was your reaction to that, to the way they chose to? I loved it. I loved it. Music, laughter, people mixing. It was a reunion of a lot of different circles of people. And it was a celebration of a life. And yeah, it felt like uh like a taste of uh, what was probably going on at the same time in heaven, you know, just a bit. But it was was good. It was real good. Did you notice how disrupted some of the attendees were by it? Mm -hmm. And I think particularly those who weren't believers. Mm -hmm. You could just kind of feel this awkwardness. And I mean, I think those who understand the power of the resurrection and that this man is actually quite well and he's doing just fine. You know, we're able to enter into the joy celebration. It's a taste of the wedding feast of the lamb was really what it was, like a foretaste of it. And But man, there was a section there that was just disrupted of this is inappropriate. We should be somber. You know, this requires seriousness and liturgy and, you know, gray tones. And, yeah. and then I was thinking about something I read in Dallas Willard a number of years ago where he's talking about Jesus's strange indifference toward death and that he, in fact, tells his disciples to rejoice at his own death because of what it would mean for Jesus, I get to rejoin the Father, and what it means for us, we get to rejoin the Father. Like, rejoice? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to start this session with that example, because I don't think anything exposes our misinterpretation of God more than death does. In other words, the way we look at death, with fearing our mm-hmm. own death, the overwhelming sense of hopelessness and loss that typically accompanies, yes. whereas this family is like, oh, he just changed his address. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there's grief. I'm not minimizing that, and neither are they. Yes, mm-hmm. there's sorrow. Yes, there are tears. You bet there are. There's missing that person for now. But whether or not you believe in the resurrection, whether or not you actually really believe that, gets exposed pretty quickly in your experiences of loss and of death. Yeah, that's true, John. And. My goodness, if you hold to, if you hold to, God has secured our resurrection. He has won. He has secured the final 
outcome in all of this. How much is that going to change your interpretation of life, events, or even, you know, war movies as we were previously discussing that, you know, if you believe in the restoration of all things, how does that help and change mm-hmm. and alter your interpretation of things? And how much does your interpretation of things expose whether or not you believe in the restoration and the resurrection, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's something about how do I live in the midst of life not going the way I want, expect, or hope, in the midst of genuine, deep, true grief and all the the variety of relational difficulties and circumstances? Does my life change from a commitment to love to worship, to be present and engaged. And to some degree, while there's seasons of grief, there's seasons where our lives truly are affected. If a life committed to loving, worshiping, and offering to others is pinched in any way, it says something about we're misinterpreting our world. That's kind of the fruit of your mm-hmm. life shows whether you're interpreting your world well, accurately, or clearly. It does. Welcome back to the Ransom Power Podcast. John Eldridge and Craig McConnell continuing a conversation on interpretation. And we want to continue in the category of God yes. before we move on to some other things like relational issues or job, career, dreams, calling, you know, different areas where we're trying to interpret our lives, bringing some clarity to that, continuing on with God, particularly in the realm of what is God up to? How do I understand God in my life? What comes to your mind, Craig? What are the other crucial categories there? You know, a couple, John. And one is that I think we must acknowledge the mystery of God, that that there comes times, places, and things we simply cannot understand. This side of heaven do not have a clarity on how the pieces fit, and there's a humility that doesn't demand or insist that I have the full picture. God's character being good, his heart for me, Um, the redemptive nature of God, the all things will be restored, that's enough. And so there's a humility that comes. And this is particularly true when you're dealing with other people, when you're in the hospital bed next to someone who you don't know the whole story, you don't know all that's going on. Exactly. You know, the specifics for you, my dear friend, remain a mystery to me, but I cling to God is good. Mm. Is there an enemy involved? There is a larger story. And there's a humility of, I can't explain this or put it all together for you. Yeah, that's good. Humility, allowing for the realm of mystery is just really good. I think another one, John, is I think there's something about time and age and walking with God for years that you have a category perhaps that that a younger person doesn't but will have. I was reading Psalm 30 and David, he says, I called out to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. So he gives this testimony of what God has done in the past. Mm. And then he goes into what he's currently experiencing, which 
God seems silent. David's dismayed that God's not more engaged with his enemies. And he he reflects honestly, truthfully about just the chaos and the turbulence of his world. And God doesn't seem to be true and present and engaged. But he says to himself, you know, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And it's like talking to himself based on past experiences, based on the story that is mine. I know God, what he has done for me, how he's been engaged. I'm going through hell right now, but I cling to the testimony of who he is and what he's done. And the psalm ends beautifully. He kind of comes full circle and says, you've turned my wailing into dancing. You re- Moved my sackcloth. You clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. And it's just this beautiful little story and picture of a man who knows God and clings to the faithfulness of God in the past. And though he's living and honest and real about his current chaos, he knows God's going to come through based on past experiences. And he does come through in time, eventually, at some point. So yes. there's there's a history, there's a momentum to our lives mm. of God's faithfulness that I think helps us interpret and understand or get through. Or live with the mystery, as you were yes. talking about. Kind of the in the meantime, yes. in the meantime, before the answers come, before the breakthrough comes, I love it that he's helping himself with his own interpretation, right? Yes. You know, my soul right? Why are you dismayed? Why are you upset? Hope in God. I shall yet again praise him. He's helping himself with his own interpretation. He's catching his own roller coaster and saying, hang on, hang on, hang on, self. Don't go there. Don't give way to that. Not fear, not anxiety, not depression, not discouragement. Hang on, hang on. You know God's good. You know he loves you. Cling to that. You're going to see that here. Hang on. Just, yeah. I love that he's helping himself he with his own interpretation. A lot of my journal is filled with that. I want to come back to if what we're trying to do is help with correct interpretation, we we're also trying to rescue you, friends, from, from the cost, the cost of misinterpretation, the agony, the years of pain, confusion, guilt, sorrow that comes with misinterpretation. And I think one of the great dilemmas of the human race goes like this. Yes, yes, you were made for happiness. Yes, you were made for Eden. Your soul was literally shaped and created for your best summer vacation experience times 10, you know, Mm. just, yes, of course you seek peace and relief and healing and goodness and pleasure. You're made for pleasure. You're actually, we're made for ecstasy. Yes, 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 yes. The problem is if you don't understand the interruption in the story, you're going to really get upset about this because mankind, Christians included, make pretty much the aim of their daily experience getting that back, getting a taste of it at least. You know, if I can't have Eden, I can have a great lunch. 
you know? If I can't have a rich relationship with my wife, I can get on the internet and at least get a little something. You know, that ache, that pull, I know it seems like your life is about happiness, but there was an interruption in the story. And we lost Eden, and mankind fell, and evil entered the picture. We're in the midst of a great battle now. And in addition to that, God is addressing things in your life. We are moving towards ecstasy, pleasure, summer vacation times 10. We are close. We are close. But there's something in our reaction to life's events that shows we're confused about timing. Mm. We get ticked. Mm. We rage at God. We get discouraged. We lose heart because we're not finding happiness right now. We can't have that baby. We can't find that person to be in relationship with. We can't get our kids to behave or, you know, whatever it is and want to bring back to the table the interpretive grid of, do you understand what God is primarily after right now? Because if you do, it's going to reshape the way you interpret so many things. So let me read something from George MacDonald, he's talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And he says it is not to follow him, to take him in any way theoretically, to hold this or that theory about why he died or wherein lay his atonement. Such things can be revealed only to those who follow him in his active being, right? Who do as he did, live as he lived. And then listen. There is no other following. To follow Jesus is to be learning of him, to think his thoughts, to use his judgments, to see things as he saw them, to feel things as he felt them, to be hearted, sold, minded as he was. Mm that so also we may be of the same mind with his father. This it is to deny self and go after him, nothing less. Even if it be working miracles and casting out devils, is to be his disciple. I really think we kind of have this posture of, well, discipleship is kind of optional. It's for the super saints or those in ministry or those who want it, you know, those who kind of have a taste for spiritual life. You know, but for the rest of us, it's about having a nice home yeah. and redecorating the, the bedroom. It's about repainting the kitchen and getting the grass or about just having an apartment or it's about – you see what I'm saying? We really honestly believe it's about making life work now. And that's where I want to suggest half at least of our shock, dismay, confusion, angst, anger, frankly, rage comes from. It's this fundamental misunderstanding of what is going on right now, and in particular in the life of the believer, what God's after. It's like, oh, he's committed to your happiness, right? But friends, this is not about maybe getting a little nicer car, Hmm. taking a little longer vacation this year, getting a little raise. Yes, you're made for happiness, and it's coming. It's coming. But there's this fundamental confusion right now in people's souls about what God's up to. 
and they they get mad at God. They get confused, disheartened. They lose heart for decades because of this one fundamental confusion. Those are good words. John, I'd love just to hear your thoughts on your partner, Brent Curtis, his death years ago, and from your own story, your own life. What did you do with that in God? That's a few years back. What has the interpretation of that been? Let me discuss two phases of that that I think will be helpful for our listeners as they're thinking through their own life in God. There was the immediate and then over time. In the immediate, when I received the news in those first few days, in those first few weeks, I knew, I knew in my soul, you can have God or you can have understanding, Hmm. but you aren't going to get both right now. Maybe down the road, maybe down the road you get both, but there really is this choice and and the anguished soul just cries out for understanding, cries out for an explanation. Why Hmm. is the first thing that comes out of our mouths, right? And that's all gracious and understood and no shame in that. But friends, like right away, you can have God or you can have understanding. And so in those initial moments, crying out for God, like, God, I need you. You got to catch me in this. You got to catch my heart or I'm going to go to some really awful places with this. Like I can feel the downward spiral. So that was part of the immediate experience was just God. Mm-hmm. And then earlier in this discussion, this series, we talked about healthy emotional life and emotions are good and fine. And and so allowing the grief, allowing the loss, allowing the sorrow, but not to despair. See, that's the catch. And it's almost like I was aware that I had to shepherd my own heart in that. Like, yes, grieve the loss. Yes, I hate death. Death is a violation. Death is not God's plan. Mm -hmm. Death is not God's plan. It came in at the fall. Eternal life was God's plan. The tree of life was in the center of the garden, not the tree of death, the tree of life, okay? So yes, rail at death. Yes, grieve. Yes, but also catching my heart, again, in interpretation, catching my heart going, don't go to despair. Yes, sorrow and grief. Don't go to despair. Don't go to hopelessness. Um, there was, in the early days, there was some raging at God. Mm. And I would take a baseball bat and I'd go into my garage. We had these big trash bins that the city provides and they're kind of huge trash containers, pretty sturdy. And I would just wail on those. Partly I was railing against the evil one and against death and against all that came in the fall of man. Partly I was railing at God and crying out. And also in the early days of the grief, I was shocked and exposed at what I would do to find relief. Mm-hmm. I would turn to everything. I mean, I tried food, sex, alcohol, tobacco. I mean, just, you know, I didn't shoot heroin. I didn't have an affair. I didn't go down some of those dark roads. But I was just shocked at my soul scrambling for some kind of relief, comfort, and how God was like seventh 
mm-hmm. on the list mm-hmm. of where my soul kind of immediately goes. And I saw that mm-hmm. and shepherding my heart in that time and just going, oh, God, like, look at me. I'm so exposed. I'm such an unbeliever. I'm such an idolater. Come in this. Come in this. Come in this. I want to emerge from this a far more holy and powerful man than I am now. Mm -hmm. That was all in the immediate days, and that all came and went like the crashing of the sea. You know, the tide ebbs and flows, and sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's violent and all that. Over time, I really had to wrestle with and come to, what are my conclusions about Act 4? What do I really believe? Honestly, truly, really believe. What do I believe about Brent? What do I believe about his family? Um, Again, just interpretation, interpretation, interpretation. You know, what are my real convictions about this? Because if I really believe that Brent is glorious, I mean, he's alive. People don't die. (laughs) God's friends don't die. You don't die. Right? Jesus said, he who believes in me will never die. And if he dies, he shall live forever. Like, you don't die. Whatever it is that we conceive of death, this end of existence, this stopping of being, actually does not take place. And then God gave to me some pretty precious gifts. And they took place at retreats. And they took place during very significant worship sessions in the midst of the very work that Brent died in. It was our very first men's retreat where he was killed. Um, I saw visions, just a couple of them. One was a vision of the armies of God in heaven preparing for Act 4 and the invasion, the return of Christ Mm. with his armies. And those armies include angels, but they also include the saints. And I saw Brent in the line, Mm. live, noble, Mm. young, Mm. handsome, you know, and just the confirmation of right, right, right. Like, death is such a violation, but death is also a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. And the enemy just uses it as this big mocking lie. He's not dead. He's not dead. And it changes everything. It really changes my perspective on it, on what happened. And then I have to allow for mystery in all that. I think the death of one of God's saints, I think the death of one of his children is really shrouded in a lot of mystery. The timing of it, why then, why is it, you know, he had a lot of good years ahead for him. You know, why does the homeless guy get to live to be 87 but not Brent? And I mean, I'm just content with mystery. I think you said there's kind of a humility there where I've got to be careful some of the conclusions I come to about that and and just allow for, I don't know, I don't know. Some questions get answers in Act 4, not Act 3. John, In that time when you were railing, raging, smashing trash cans, what could others have done or been? What's the response to someone who is going through a hard time and grappling with genuine emotions and feelings that take them to the brink? How do we come alongside someone who's struggling in how to interpret God's presence, involvement mm-hmm. in what's unfolding. Mm-hmm. What was needed or mm-hmm. what came or was helpful? I think the first thing is the space to express what you're feeling. First, don't mm-hmm. go first to interpretation. That's jumping the process. You know, mm-hmm. I think for people to just ask, what are you feeling? 
not even how are you doing, but the specific question, what are you feeling? Because sometimes when you go through something as traumatic as that, you shut down a lot and you don't know what you're feeling. And a lot of times people just go numb, dissociate, check out, shut down, all graciously understandable, but really helpful for someone to come along and say, what are you feeling? Put some words to that. And then from that place, yeah, in the kindness to say, how are you interpreting this? What's your take on this? Right. And to allow conversation, words, expression about that, again, without condemnation, Mm -hmm. as we reveal some of our godlessness, as we Mm -hmm. reveal some of our absolute idolatry, you know, our apostasy, our addictions, all of that. How are you interpreting this? Where are you going with this? What's your take on this? And then I think that what would have helped me more in those early days is people talking about the restoration of all things. Like, that's just everything, gang. Like, that's our treasure. That's mm-hmm. the, it's everything. And so more conversation about that would have been helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Just believing in the restoration of all things for another person. Like, yes. you, you hold faith for them for a while until they can recover faith. You hold faith for them. You hold interpretation for them mm-hmm. for a while. Helping, bringing them back to, I get it, totally understand you're feeling all that. And... Are you remembering the restoration? Are you remembering mm-hmm. the renewal of all things? Because we bring each other back, mm-hmm. we bring each other back, mm-hmm. right? You allow space for the emotions and you bring each other back. Allow space for the emotions, help to put words to what they are believing and interpreting. What's your interpretation? What's your take on this? What are you believing about all this right now? And then step three, gently bringing them back to a correct interpretation mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a friend, concern for someone, just believing that God is good and that God can use this and believing for them that that it may take a while, but they're going to land on their feet with something far deeper and richer Yep. as a result. Holding that kind of hope yes. for them, right? Yeah. That, oh, my gosh, yes, you bet. To have someone in your life that believes that is a huge gift. We're going to say a lot more about the actions of God and interpreting God in our next couple of sessions because we're going to turn the corner into interpreting disappointment and interpreting suffering and and hardship. So more on this, but let me close with this thought right now. As I was coming in this morning to record with you, Craig, I was praying and asking Jesus, what do you want to speak to, especially regarding people's interpretation of you and your actions in their lives. And and he said, speak to the resentment that builds up. Hmm. When you do live through periods, sometimes long periods, of what feels like the silence of God or unanswered prayer or certain very specific unanswered prayers for a son or a daughter, a friend, you know, a child, your work or whatever – It builds up resentment in the soul toward God. And we just have to be honest about that. And we have to be honest about where it is in us because that is going to hurt your relationship more than anything else. And it's going to cause you to pull away. And it's going to cause further misinterpretation of what he's doing. And so, one, to be aware of disappointments, hardship, unanswered prayers, silence, confusing 
actions by God or the lack of actions by God builds up resentment in the soul toward him. You might pretend that it's not there, but it is. And what's amazing, and I wrote a little bit about this in Beautiful Outlaws, what Jesus invites us to do is to forgive him. We don't forgive God like we're God and he's human and we're now taking the role of judge. We forgive God for the silence. We forgive him for the confusion. We forgive him for the unanswered prayers. In other words, you release the resentment. You let that go. You forgive it. And you actually love him, love him in this very place. You love him in the silence. You love him in the unanswered prayers. You love him in the confusion. When you do that, staggering things happen in the universe. Staggering things. It absolutely shocks and dismays evil. They do not get that one action. That one action they do not understand. And so it disarms the power of evil. And it also opens your soul up to hearing from God, to getting through the darkness, to getting through the silence. It opens your soul back up to him to receive his love, his comfort, his presence. And thirdly, the transformation of your character when you do that. It's one of the most redemptive things to do with your disappointments and your confusion. I mean, the holiness that that brings in you. So you love him in this place. You release your resentment toward him so that you can find God again. Mm-hmm. It's so good. You've been listening to the Ransom Tower podcast with John Eldridge and Craig McConnell in a series on interpretation. And we just invite you to stay with us through this. We've got some really great Mm -hmm. sections coming.